beautiful in Northfield, Minnesota. Thank you. Thank have you for having me. Have you enjoyed the rain? It, I have. It's been beautiful. I thought somebody was having a gigantic shower and then I was like, oh my gosh, no, that's rain. Wow, there's lightning and thunder and it's summertime. <laughs> <laughs> is there, like, I don't even know how it is in Southern California, how the rain oh my works gosh. there. There is rain. It's Mostly in the winter time. Oh yeah. Although there there was like one day I think where it rained in the summer uh, recently. Well, like June probably. Um, but mostly it's just hot. It's just and, hot all the time. Well, yeah. there, you guys are in a drought like for yeah. nine years. Well, this some some they released that like just when we moved from Las Vegas they had some really they had a ton of rain and snow and so they kind of or at least they backed off their orange level or whatever it was right but it's rain and snow up in the mountains where you are not yeah but it has that's where our water comes from right sort of like in nevada where like all the water comes from the rocky mountains so if you don't have any water it doesn't matter if you get water in Las or rain in Las Vegas, it matters if you get snowpack in the Rocky Mountains because it comes down in the Sierra Sierras. Uh, well, in in Las Vegas, but in in Southern California or in Northern California, both you have to get water in the Sierra Nevadas yeah. in order to have yeah. drinking water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, or water for the plants and stuff. Although I think that comes from the Rocky Mountains too. I think that goes. That's water that comes through. Lake Mead, Hoover Dam, a lot of that irrigates a lot of California. Mm-hmm. I think that also comes from that route too. Eh. 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 I don't know water. There's works. water, and there's uh, more of it now, so people are more chill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we were talking about the water park thing and how, like, I don't feel comfortable overusing water, even though I live in a not drought, not droughty area, like. We've had a drought here in eons. And, well, mm. I'm, I'm sure we have, and I'm sure the farmers would strongly disagree with me, but, like, for real, drought doesn't happen here very often. Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, you're right in so many reasons, for so many reasons, like, water, uh, drinking water is a huge problem, like, in the world, period. Yeah. Um, that's a huge, huge problem. Uh, and then also um, the way that our our and this is probably like you're saying the farmers is probably an issue everywhere. Like you're talking about artesian wells. That's yeah. How you say it right. Yeah, artesian wells. Like if you if you drain those for whatever reason, if you farm the wrong thing, or I mean not the wrong thing, but the thing that uses up all of your water, well then you're you, that can cause a lot of 
problems mm-hmm. with your dirt and your foundations on the land. It can cause earthquakes. So, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you regardless. I didn't think about it causing earthquakes, but yeah. I mean, it would take a while, but there is, in fact, a reservoir that the water is pushing out on it and keeping the land up. Yeah. So if the water goes away at a really fast rate, the the dirt is not going to resettle. Yeah. It's just going to go and, yeah. and collapse. Yeah. Huh. And then you have problems. I don't know if that's maybe when you get sinkholes. That's kind of the Florida problem, but... Yeah, why, why do sinkholes? I keep seeing sinkholes on all of the internet. And I'm like, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, so scary. And where do they go? Do people go down in there and be like, what? Where does this go? Oh my god, I don't know. Do they like, explore in them? Sinkhole really? explorers? Really? I don't know. I don't know. Oh my god. I want to. <laughs> I don't want them to go down there. It seems very dangerous. But yeah. you would think that like, what the hell is causing this sinkhole? Do we need to worry? Are there things drilling out from below? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think there's have well in Florida maybe. I think there's have to do with the uh, limestone or something. Like oh, whatever yeah. whatever they're sitting on in some places, the water actually uh, in the ground saturates it and it goes away. Right. Like it seeps away into other places. And so um I wonder if that's man-made, though. There are a lot of environmental concerns in Florida. I mean, there are environmental concerns everywhere, but, like, specifically in the Everglades. Yeah. And then also in, like, having to do with sugar farming in the Ever... Near the Everglades. Oh. Because one of the ways that you extract the sugar from sugarcane is you burn it. Oh. So they're just burning huge fields and all of these people like have the smoke in the air and the ash and they just like like their houses get covered everything gets covered and they breathe it and yeah sugar problematic favorite (sighs) it's not even a favorite anymore it's a problematic addiction that i'm like do i need to kick this like it's real bad yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Woof. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we went from the weather to some real deep shit. Let's 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 bring it back. What are we drinking? Okay. So uh spent a couple days in Wisconsin and um followed a trail that Jacob had gone on in Madison and started at a cheese place called Fromagination, which was fantastic. What? Yeah, so cool. Um, like just Best name ever. Yeah. Cheese piled up all on the counters and inside the cooler counters, whatever those are called, um, the cases, and all, all these cheese, cheese paraphernalia and orphans up at the counter and meat and all kinds of little... Not human origin orphans. No, not cheese orphans. Cheese orphans, which are tiny bits of cheese left over after people have already bought their gigantic hunks of it for eating. Yeah. Reasons. Um, So went there, got a couple of things, and then walked around the corner and went to a 
or more or less around the corner and walked and um, to this coffee, uh, chocolate shop called Red Elephant and got some really fun chocolate there. Um, also delicious. Yeah. Uh, there We got the Africa truffles and the India truffles. Um, and I don't know how they came up with the naming conventions there because the Africa truffles uh, pack includes a creme brulee, a tiramisu, and a uh, banana, <laughs> something or other. So, but it's super tasty. So um, it's stocked up on that. And then was looking just, a, you know, the next door down or a couple doors down from that was this place um, that said the Garden of Earthly Delights. And I couldn't really see in the window, <laughs> so I was like, what is this? I must try. So I went in and... I'm down for delight. Yeah. <laughs> so I opened the door and I saw these sort of clay barrels on the wall with spigots coming out of them. Clay barrels? Yeah, they were clay or pottery. Oh, okay, okay. Like cisterns? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, They're about... I'm indicating to you, sorry, nobody can see. Like (laughs) Like, a foot. A foot, yeah. Like 14 inches. (laughs) Yeah. Of of things. And they immediately greeted me and they were like, what do you want to know about? And I said, what is going on in this store? And (laughs) so... They have oils and they have vinegars and they have these amazing vinegars. And then I said, well, it looks like the store goes, keeps going. What's at the keep going part? And it turns into this corner that is um, in their shop in particular. It's glass on both sides. And it was just this sparkly rainbow of liquids, which turned out to be liqueurs and liquors. So gins and cognacs and armagnacs, and they were all glittering and glowing in oh the setting Oh my gosh, sun. magical. It was so magical. Um, mm. And so she started me tasting um, all of them, or not all of them, but a couple of them. And I said, well, I definitely need to buy a gin. So apparently, the big takeaway from this, though, is that, so the company is called Von Foss, and the... Um, the, the person that was helping me let me know that they do not age gin. That is not a word you use with gin. Why is it really like like a, a sassy 45-year-old though that's like... Yeah, we just... Yeah, we're... Yeah, they're wine or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's... But everything else... All... And I didn't think that gin had all kinds... Yeah, that gin had feelings about age. So, I mean, I'm just taking this on her... Like so, she she said it. She her maybe statement. she has strong feelings about age and yeah. ageism. Yeah, and and she projects it onto gin. So <laughs> this is called barrel or barrel me, barrel mellowed gin because they don't say barrel aged. Okay. So gin, you apparently say mellowed, which is fantastic. So I am not forty years old. I am forty mellowed. <laughs> old I'm 40 years mellowed 40, 40 years mellowed I yeah. kind of like that I mean that's actually true of life we we are like just chilling the hell out now yes. <laughs> like I I cooked I grew I was I was flavored and now I'm mellowing well, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, and so then when we tasted it, we noticed that it did have sort of a warm, um, like, cognac-y ish yeah, kind of, or brandy kind of flavor to it. And that is probably because the barrels that they used to mellow it were probably brandy or cognac barrels before they were gin barrels. So this is called Nam is Voss, that? Uh, Voss or Von Von Foss. V-O-N-F-A-S-S. Oh, okay, so that's what it is. Oh, so that's all it is. Like, that is the name of this gin. Yeah. Von Foss Barrow Mellowed Gin. Yeah. Bottled by Yahara Bay Distillers in Madison, Wisconsin. 45% alcohol. All right, it's fantastic. It smells super nice. Yeah, it smells like it was, it smells like a scotch. It smells like a really nice scotch, yeah. but it still has the nice um, gin. Gin, juniper-y. Juniper-y flavor, yeah. yeah. So it's juniper and scotch yeah. together in one happy, mellow baby. Yes, yes. And that is kind of a fun thing because sometimes junipers can be really over, just overtaking and, mm-hmm. um and if you don't have like an herb flavor to or herby aromatic or something to, to take over, yeah, it can just kind of hit you across the face. Um, so yeah, this is fun. And we had gin and tonics with it. We did lime, and you had a really tasty tonic, and it was great. Mm-hmm. I yeah, it was super good. And I'm still drinking it. <laughs> I'm still currently <laughs> drinking the gin. Also, you brought us like. 30 kinds of cheese because you are actually, after the, the what did you call, fromagination? Yeah. After fromagination, you guys went on an actual cheese tour of Wisconsin yes. all the way here. Yes. So the Wisconsin, I think it's the Dairy Board or something, publishes a map and that is accompanied by a whole listing of, it seems like, every cheese place in Wisconsin. Do you and have this was, map? Yes. You have a map. And okay. it has um, dairies on it, as well as actual cheese production facilities, which are, I mean, usually dairies. And then, uh, so I guess actually that's just two things. And then stores that may carry multiple types of cheeses. And sometimes they will include like a selection of imported as well as like all over Wisconsin cheeses. So we, knowing that we were coming here, we were like, well, what can we find along the route that we need to go? Um, and it took us longer to get here than I had expected because, well, one, because we also detoured to Frank Lloyd Wright's, uh, Taliesin house, which is really cool. That's yes. where he basically summered, um, and it's his old family area that where they, his family, when they came there, his Welsh family, when they came over from Wales in like the 18, mid 1800s, that's where they settled. And so then he bought land there. Anyway, so we went to go look at his house and mm-hmm. hear all about him. But then the other thing is, is that going through all those country roads to get to all those places, like it looks like on the map of Wisconsin that they're very, like, it's just right off this main route. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's never the case in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was nice, though, that you, because you lose a lot of, um, 
cell service mm -hmm. and we hadn't bought brought with us any other map other than the cheese map so mm -hmm. it was not difficult to find as long as you started at a place that had wi-fi and then just kind of scrolled ahead and we're like okay well we just have to do this this and this okay we're done mm -hmm. um, and you do have the address so it wasn't that hard but it is lengthy to get off into the country roads but they're really beautiful really pretty mm -hmm. lots of green grass um clouds that look like drawings mm -hmm. they're just so pretty and beautiful and then you pull up to these places that are um a lot of them it seemed like we chose a lot of places that wanted you to book a tour in advance and so we could just kind of showed up and they sold us cheese which was super nice but it's probably better to call ahead if you want to be more specific about it but some of them actually had stores and mm -hmm. so you could just pull up, go in, and then look through their cases and get their advice. So we got some squeaky cheese from a place that was that type of squeaky place. Squeaky cheese curds. Yes, cheese curds. I mean, you can't go to Wisconsin and not try cheese curds. You'll probably get stopped at the airport be like, did you eat squeaky cheese? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I can say for sure that I did. And, oh, also, so yeah, it was squeaky. It was garlic dill. Mm -hmm. um, there, You can also get Cool Ranch at the place where we went. They mm -hmm. can also have Cool Ranch flavor, and they also had a jalapeno flavor, um, many different kinds. It was kind of like Doritos, but cheese. <laughs> and apparently, I learned, you knew this already, mm -hmm. but um, we were informed by the, the seller there that you, uh, that people in Wisconsin or Minnesota um, don't share a bag of squeaky cheese, that you get your own bag of cheese, everybody gets their own bag. And they don't they don't share. And right. you also don't really need to refrigerate it, which was surprising. Um, it just it's fine by itself in the bag, and pretty much they're gone in two hours. We're newbies, and we were eating lots of other cheese, so we did not finish the bag uh, yet, but we will. So yeah, it's kind of this thing where you there's I think there's two schools of thought. There are the hardcore cheese eaters where they're like. No, this is all my cheese. I eat cheese constantly. I eat cheese at every meal. And then between meals, I have snacks of cheese. Oh, really? Yes. This exists. This exists. Wow. And then there are the people like, like I would think that Aubrey and I are these kind of people where we're like, cheese is a very nice treat. And I'm going to have like a very nice cheese plate or something. And I'm going to have really good cheese on this cheese plate. And I'm really going to enjoy it. So there's, like, the consumers of cheese, and then there's the mm, dabblers of cheese. And okay. I think both groups, because, like, because if you're a hardcore cheese eater, you're going to eat all the cheese. And also because if you're a dabbler, you're going to want to eat all the cheese that's available to you. Both groups get their own cheese bag. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Either way. Can I, I was just picturing people, like, in the way that, like, on the West Coast, at least, you kind of pick up some cheese doodles at the, or corn nuts, or whatever, at, like, the gas station as you're driving along the highway. But in Wisconsin, I guess, you pick up a bag of cheese curds. That is exactly what happens. Okay. You, like, there, at the gas stations, there are cheese cases where you pick up, like, your squeaky cheese in the cheese case. Because there's always there's like always some sort of nearby cheese place where that can supply the gas stations local cheese. Oh, I love it. And then 
yeah, so everybody gets your cheese. That's exactly what happens. Like, it's your, rather than eat chips, you eat cheese. That's awesome. And, like, in the South, instead of eating chips, you eat bowl peanuts. Oh. And then in Texas, you get Dr. Pepper. I don't know what you get in Texas. Yeah. Uh, Somebody weigh in. Yeah, somebody... Grilledcheeseengine at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> what, like, what is the weird roadside thing that you get? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think the thing that Jacob really likes. It's not really Ohio, but it isn't everywhere. What They call them, they're like little cornucopias, and they have something in the middle. Bugles? Like, like, yeah, kind of bugles. They have something in the middle. Um, Stuffed bugles. Yeah, something. <laughs> they call it corn something. Are they combos? Combos. Oh, okay. Jacob loves the combos. But that's That's still like a chip, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a chip. Yeah. People need to weigh in on what their local snack thing is when you go to the gas station. Jerky. Some people probably... Definitely. I think, I feel like Texas would, would claim the jerky. Yeah, probably. Or just an entire rack of ribs. Or a cow. Yeah. Cow bathed in oil. <laughs> but the cow's enjoying it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're off topic. Yeah. <laughs> so, I actually... We, we exchanged presents when you got here. You gave me gin. And I found these, ex- like, excellent, beautiful bracelets at the craft show that's in our town. Um, we have the River Market Fair all summer long, and there's different artisans all the time that, that come in. And I walked up to one of the artist tables, and she was selling bracelets, and I picked up one of the bracelets, and it's green, and it's cut kind of like... Um, what would you call these? Like sort of octagonal on the inside. Yeah, it's like, it's got several facets on the inside. Yeah. I picked it up and I was looking at it. And I'm like, gosh, this is really pretty. It kind of looks like Jane, because what it appears like what she told me that she does is she cuts bottles and then she puts it in a um, rock tumbler to basically make it look like sea glass. So these circles that are made into bracelets look like they were tossed in the ocean and came up out of the ocean as sea glass. And I picked up, the one I picked up was kind of green. I was looking at it and she's like, oh, that, that's from a Tanqueray gin bottle. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And she's like, yeah, that's a Tanqueray gin bottle. I'm like, okay, I need to buy this. Which other one of these is a gin bottle? And instead of taking the opportunity to lie, she says, oh, none of the rest of these are from a gin bottle. <laughs> I'm like, but I need one for my friend Jessica, so lie to me. <laughs> she didn't lie, but I actually got a really pretty blue one for Jessica that's made out of a um, an old antique vase, is what she said. And I can imagine that it's from a Bombay gin. Yeah. A Bombay yeah, sapphire, sapphire gin, gin bottle. bottle. Yeah. yeah. It's gorgeous. And it has kind of the same... Thing, yeah. only the fluting is on the outside. Yeah, you're right. Oh, it is different. 
So that's the base part. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the face looked like. Interesting. But yeah, it's really pretty and it has that sea glass look to it. And it I has just, that nice sound. Yeah, it has the nice clicky sound. Glass has. Yeah. I love it. So pretty. It was almost, there were some meant to be kind of things this weekend. Yeah. I, also, on my way here from, well, not my way here specifically, but on my way to Madison, Wisconsin, I had a stopover in Denver and uh, spotted Ira Glass, who is my radio <laughs> podcast hero. I keep his um, <laughs> comic book about radio, making radio on my desk when we are recording. Um, and that's like your sacred book. Yes. Yes. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw him in the food court <laughs> getting food at the same place as you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we clearly have, you know, the same taste in salads, but I noticed that he went to another place to, I presume get like a diet Coke or something. So he went to another place to get that, but then he came back to get the salad at the place and. And I wondered if he also enjoyed the fiesta salad at that location. Did you did you eat the same salad? Did I, you like... I don't know. I did not ask him. I did not pester him. I was so starstruck that I had my nose in my phone going, Oh my god, it's our glass. You totally were texting me. You're like, I couldn't I couldn't think straight. I didn't do anything. I just I just I had to text you and I was texting Jacob. <laughs> So I was like, it's meant to be. It's a sign. It's the sign. The podcast gods are smiling upon us. As well as the as well as the gin gods and the grilled cheese gods. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So tons of gin and grilled cheese and podcasting yeah. in the last couple of days. So we had to take the opportunity to record while we were yes. in the same room, obviously. Yeah. So this is a super special recording. Of just us shooting the shit. <laughs> this is actually what it sounds like <laughs> when we're sitting together in the same room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interspersed with both of us um, looking stuff up on our phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you had an excellent day bumming around Northfield and just having a nice vacation. Um, yeah. Yes. So and in terms of a like a creative update, mm -hmm. we want to do that. Sure. Um, so we were very excited because we just, just to date this, we just launched three days ago, mm -hmm. four days ago, our first three episodes. Mm -hmm. That was super exciting. It was very exciting. So we hit our deadline. Yes. That's fantastic. We're Yay. so good. Yeah. Skin of our teeth, but it was, it it was, was on there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. We did it. And we learned so much from... Editing those three episodes, and then I'm working on a fourth and a sixth, and you're working on a fifth. Yeah. That it's just like we know so so much better what we're looking for and how we want to do stuff, yeah. and we've learned so many tips and tricks from yes. just doing it. Yeah, I would definitely say I have learned for sure the value of just doing it. Yes. Like if once you've you're in the groove or like we have somebody to be accountable to like each yeah. other and like to get this done and talk about it. Like once you're there, like just do it. Cause I, I signed up for in particular, I had signed up for a, um, a, a place called podcast. I think it's called the podcast host. I think they're out of the UK. And so I signed up for his email newsletter 
And I was getting different things from him as we were preparing Mm -hmm. to launch everything. But I could not read it. I was like, this is really good. This is a really good article I can tell. But I just can't. I don't have the brain space to even think about it right now. Right. And so I was like, I'll just hold on to that and I'll go back to it later. And sure enough. I found a thing about, like, easy editing mm-hmm. tips um, for ed- sort of finding edits while you're going in, while you're recording. Which, yeah, I was clapping and stuff. Um, such a good idea. But I, and I knew that I needed, we needed it earlier, but I just didn't have the brain space for it. And so I'm glad that we just went ahead and did it mm-hmm. and did the things that we did so that when it got to be time where I finally had the brain space to read that article. I was like, oh, this is a really good article. We can do this going forward. I am fine with the fact that we didn't do it. We haven't done it yet. Yeah. We'd learned a lot of other things. <laughs> so this is our seventh podcast that we're edit like that we're recording. Yay! That's amazing. Yeah, that is so cool. This is like, oh my gosh. Like <sighs> And we have everything mapped out to right. like December practically. Yes, to December. Asterisk, still haven't asked Aubrey about what we're going to do for PodCon. Probably just going to buy the tickets and be like, you want to come? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, next paycheck. Huh, wh- where did that paycheck go? Don't think about it. Don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Jacob sounds like he's totally on board. Yes. He's yeah. like... You want to go to Seattle during my birthday weekend? Okay. <laughs> I know. Part Twist my like, arm. Yeah. I was like, oh, it is your birthday. Oh, well. Oh, but you want to go. Okay, good. <laughs> Wins for both of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, that sounds like a great birthday trip that you yeah. can totally just take off and go do. I don't know if Aubrey would come with me because she, we kind of allocated all of our vacation time for her. I accrue vacation time as I go, so the more hours that I work, the more vacation I get. Yeah, yeah. So it's just a percentage of how many hours. So I can definitely work up to that easily. But she has a certain amount, and that's it. Oh. (laughs) For the year. And it resets on January 1st. That's interesting. So, yeah. Uh, It's a little bit frustrating because we have to, like, look into the future and be like, okay, are we going to go to Vegas? During Thanksgiving? Or are we going to go yeah. to this wedding? Like, yeah. that's what we have to choose between. Um, yeah. So, it's just rough. <laughs> I've always worked in an accrual type of situation. Yeah. It's so... And it feels really low. I really need to ask her exactly how many hours of paid vacation she gets because it feels really low yeah well, it can't be we took off like, like 10 days or something oh yeah so it's at least two weeks at least it's at least two weeks so maybe it's not that low it just feels low because we like to travel more than we should, really should <laughs> oh no everyone should travel <laughs> <laughs> that's just a thing you should do <laughs> my last job they gave us three weeks See, that and feels like a decent amount of time. You accrue it, so you're accruing like five between, you know, yeah, I think it's five to six hours every uh, pay period. So you're always, and then a lot of people would just 
um, just because of work, would not use it. Mm-hmm. So then they had even more hours. But then they capped how many hours you could take over year to year mm-hmm. and how many you could take with you, um, which was uh, scandalous, internally scandalous. It was really difficult for people. They were like, why can't I take my hours? I, you know, and everyone was like, well, because it's supposed to be vacation. Like, you're supposed to be using your vacation time. And they were like, yeah, but I'm working hard for you. And in some cases, that was, I mean, in all the cases, that was totally true. It was people who were working super hard. Um, so it was kind of a bummer that that sort of, in a way, was kind of taken away from them. But hmm. the way that. The way the vacation always tends to work is really, it always benefits the company, I feel. It's really difficult to say, okay, this is a benefit of the work that you do because you have to earn it, quote unquote, if you're in an accrual thing. And it expires at the end of the year. Use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. You can't, like, they used to do things like you could buy it out like they would just give you the cash for it so a lot of people in December when they were gonna use it or lose it quote unquote would take the buyout and buy Christmas presents obviously like that's an easy way to be like oh that's my little savings account for Christmas yeah yeah but what happened with me is I was accruing this these this time and I was going to use it for Japan uh-huh. And then I broke my leg, and oh. they automatically used it for my time off that I had oh. to take from, from having surgery and yeah. being laid up. Oh. So I was sitting there, and I'm like, so when I'm in Japan, I get no money. Like, I took as much as I had left, yeah. but it would have been much nicer to, like, only have the couple of days off that I had to take off for for. Yeah. My leg, like, just not get any money during that time. Right. And then come back to actually having a paycheck. Yes. Yeah. Ugh, that hurts. Yeah, and I didn't know that that was what was going to happen. And I, you know, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's another hard thing, too, is if they put, as many companies do, put together your sick with sick time with, your vacation time and just call PTO, like use it however you need. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, then if you go and you're like, well, I'm going to take a vacation and the company's like, good for you. Take some time off. And then something happens to you. Um, that's like health related and medical related. You're like, how was I supposed to plan for that? (laughs) Right. And then you run into problems when they are separated When you're like, I've taken one sick Sick day day. this year. Yes. Why can't I use the other nine that I'm supposed to have? Yeah, yeah. And put it toward my vacation. So there isn't really a good solution. No. Either way you go. No. No. Unless it's just a huge amount of PTO. Or you just trust that people are not lying. Yeah. And don't call, don't do any sort of sick time. Yeah. Just be like, okay, you went to the doctor's office, okay. Yeah. MGM, I don't know if you know this, uh, in the last four years or so, they instituted a policy that there was no mandate, no mandated time uh, that anybody could take any amount off that they needed or wanted. They just had to discuss it with their supervisor. So, Pete... 
which was in some ways great because people were starting at the company and had no vacation time whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And then people were coming from other companies where, like, other hotels where they had, like, three weeks or two weeks. And then they were going, you know, leaving over to MGM where they had accrued nothing. And they had they, nothing. <laughs> so crazy. And so it was just, I think it was kind of uncompetitive for them. It was difficult for them to take people away from other companies. Um, and then and then they were kind of stingy at one point, and they were like, well, we'll give you a week. And I was like, are you serious? Like, especially if you have a spouse that's, like, working at the Sands, and they mm-hmm. have two or three weeks mm-hmm. of vacation time. Plus, I think um, some of the other casino companies would give people actual holidays. Like, you didn't have to – it wasn't mandatory for you to work on certain holidays. Or they had sort of maybe humane trade-off policies where – if you work this holiday, maybe somebody else worked that holiday, depending on what your position was inside the casino. Um, but yeah, that was amazing at MGM that they were like, whatever, just work it out with your supervisor. We trust you. You're an employee, which for a gigantic company like that is amazing. Right. Well, uh, there's so many things that would be solved if it was just like, you know, especially for hourly employees. Okay, if you're not in the building, you're not getting paid. So if you need to take vacation, like if you need to go on a vacation, if you need to go take care of a sick relative, if you need to take off to go help your kid at school, like you're an adult. We trust that you're doing what you need to be doing. If you're not making enough money with us, that's like, that's because you're not working the right amount of hours for us. Yeah, yeah. But. I can see that it Probably, you know, it can get difficult if you, especially for hourly employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that that policy extended to hourly. I assume it did, but, um, but it, particularly if you're, you know, customer facing hourly employees, if you don't have somebody, if you don't know that somebody you're going to need coverage for like a month, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like maybe two weeks or two and a half weeks is maybe more manageable, but... But still, there can be the policy in place of yeah, work it out with your boss. Work it out, yeah. And I'm sure they wrote some... Maybe they with supervisors, they... Well, I'm not sure, but... It seems like it would be smart if they also kind of talked about, like, here's how it would be best to implement this, for you to work this out with your employees. If, you know, you kept this open mind and asked these questions, and you're allowed legally to ask these questions, but not these, and... <laughs> And this is how we recommend that you keep in touch with your employees so that, um, you know, nobody has any hurt feelings and mm-hmm. people still stay happy and still stay employed with your, in your department and don't think that you're a jerk or, you know, think that we're jerks or whatever. Like, you represent the company well, you represent yourself well, and, um, you know, keep Just your Just be reasonable. Yeah, be reasonable. But I feel like some people's definition of reasonable is so, like... I remember distinctly, I, were, I used to work at a hotel up in Tahoe, and I was over my head this one semester because I was working at the hotel, like, I can't, I feel like I was still working, like, almost full-time and going to college, and I had a wow. really huge, I didn't have a huge course load, but I had enough, like, yeah. it 
because when you're trying to graduate in four years, you have to take more than 12 credits a semester. So I was at least doing that. Yeah. So say I was doing 15 credits. But then during finals, I was like, oh my gosh, I really need to just sit down and plow yeah. through this. And I called in. I was like, you know, I really don't think I can come in today. I have to study. And they were like, no, we need you. Show up. And there are like five people checking in that night. The, the boss just didn't want to check them in. Oh my gosh. And I looked at him and I looked at who was checking in and I was like, you're the worst. <laughs> you're, you're literally jeopardizing my ability to get all of my schoolwork done because you're lazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. And I, I don't, when you're 19, you don't have those words. You don't have yeah. that in your brain. You're just yeah. mad because you can't go study. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah. just like, oh, you're the worst. And that's that's all it extends to. And then these, for me, it like sits and festers. And I'm like, God, that's terrible. Why would why would someone do that? Why is it why yeah. is that okay for that person to do that? And while... You know, he was a 22-year-old dude on a power trip, and he knew that he could get me to come in if he said no. Or or risk losing my job, which yeah. I then, out of moral high ground, had to quit. I had no reason to quit this job other than I hated him then. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. didn't want to work with him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like the next day I put in my two weeks notice. Yeah. And had to get a different job. But would have worked there my entire college career and been just fine. Like, I would have been a, in a very good financial situation if I had yeah. stayed at that job. Yeah. But because I was so mad, I couldn't... Yeah. Yeah. If you have tips <laughs> for not getting so mad at your boss that you have to quit out of moral obligation, let me know. Yeah. I don't have that ability. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you are so right. Like, if you're hiring a student, you have to understand what that, that what's that going to entail. Mm -hmm. Like, during finals week. Um, you just let them study. Yeah, they're going to study. Or you tell them, bring in your stuff, and they're, it's going to be, well, you know, you'll have to take a call or two. Right. But, you know, this will be, you know, Kate, we'll try to schedule you. Or around your whatever. Right. Like, maybe come in after <laughs> or something. Um, but, yeah, that should be an understood thing. Like, I feel like everybody, to a certain extent in this world, is probably hired with caveats. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we hired this person. They're the best person for the job. Um, caveat, they have a new baby mm -hmm. and so you have to be respectful of the fact that that is a person and a human being that they are growing mm -hmm. <laughs> and they have sometimes to... babies get sick or need emergency appointments or yeah. just need appointments in general yeah yeah or you as a person mm -hmm. need to attend appointments uh, as a father or a mother or a, par a parent as the mother you know so um yeah, I feel like everybody is, like, the, the more I work, the more I feel like people need to be, as supervisors need to be more understanding. But I know, I, 
I like need to take sort of a bigger picture about, or let's say it this way, not that they should, in the great world, they should, mm -hmm. but um, that it would probably behoove everyone in this world if we took, if everyone took a perspective of more, like as, as, as understanding that when you hire, you start a business, you're not just starting a business, like you're, you're an employer. You're now going to have employees and all of the crap that happens with that. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I've never had employees, so I, I can't, I have no real high horse on this one. Well, and I think we were talking about this a little bit when we were talking about um, if you can't afford to pay your employees a living wage, then it seems like you can't afford to be in business. Like yeah. you need to take that out of your profit, and if you if you get to a place where your profit is zero or negative, that means that you can't afford to be in business. Yeah. So yeah, maybe you should sure, rethink like, your business model, have like fewer employees, business plans. Yeah, where that's where it definitely comes into, and employee costs are your some of your are always the biggest costs. Right. Uh, employing people is always going to be your biggest cost and interns don't ever come free <laughs> and they shouldn't it is illegal it, yeah. to have someone work for free yeah that is FYI everybody <laughs> so just another little asterisk on the internship you should be getting something for your internship Sometimes it will, it, it, there should always be a fiscal gain. Like you should be getting some amount of money, whether it's a stipend or whatever, but you should also be getting something else from it. If you're not getting quote unquote paid a reasonable amount for what the job does. Like if it's for school, you should be getting school credit. Right. If you, it's for like an apprenticeship, you should be being apprenticed. Like if you are in a place that says, this is an apprenticeship for my woodworking business, you should be learning how to do woodworking. Yeah. It shouldn't be, okay, yes, I'm going to pay you a tiny amount of money and you're going to be my gopher. Yeah. Those responsibilities come into play, but you should actually be learning while you're doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. say too and this is only uh sort of as a, a side road to this is that um I have a couple of friends who have taken jobs and um you know speaking about like things when you're like 19 you're like I don't have words for this until until you've gone through the experience and you think about it back on it later and you're like oh that was a learning experience Oh, um, that was him being being a bad person. Yeah, yeah. Him being a bad person, but then also, like, maybe when you're 19, but if you're listening to this and you're 19, mm -hmm. um, take one of the takeaways is you can say to your boss when you're hired, uh, I'm a student. I am a student, and that means that during finals week, we need to work out uh, a sometime type of probably a different schedule. Mm -hmm. I need to be relieved more, I need time off, and if you need to, and 
it'd be nice if you could tell me right now if that's going to be a problem because then I'm not going to take this job or I'm not going to continue in this job, say your boss changes mm-hmm. while you're there. Um, and, you know, just to make sure that, you know, everybody's clear about expectations. Uh, and you, you're not necessarily going to know that, again, until it happens unless, you know, you've had somebody helpful tell you. to tell you, look out for this and be clear about this is something that you're going to want because it is. If you're a student, you don't want to delay this. You don't want to waste the money that you put down paying for those credits. Like, yes, you need time to study. And so you need to be, people need to be more flexible in their work schedule. And I know that that happens on college campuses. If you're in your work study programs, mm-hmm. they are like, yeah, nobody works during finals week because, duh, everybody is studying. Yeah. And I actually did work in the library during finals week, but in every single job I ever had on a college campus, you were expected to be studying. It's called a work-study program. Yeah. So if you're not actually checking out books or or whatever you're doing at at your work-study job, you're sitting there. Like, there was a full-on desk for me to work at. Yeah. Yeah, I my my roommate in college also was a work study in the library, and um, I mean she had to shelve books and she had to do yeah. some checking out. But I th- I think I recall that her schedule was also worked around her finals. Oh yes. So that she worked later in the day. I remember. I'm pretty sure that my job, like we finished everything up before the finals, and it was like. Now you're done. We'll see you later. And people, some people would come in and still like, cause I worked a lot in the costume shop. Mm-hmm. And so people would just, you know, clear off the tables and we, we were not making any costumes for anything. So people would just be sitting there with like all their homework, like mm-hmm. all out on all of their notes out on the, the cutting tables and studying for that. But, Oh, another, so the side road I was going to say to this is that another thing that happens in, um, in job interviews sometimes is that, and I don't think this is done maliciously, but um, a lot of recruiters will say things like, oh yes, there is room for a lot of advancement at this job. Or they will say, um, yes, uh, they do consider people for raises. And I don't know what the appropriate way to nail somebody down and be like, are you really telling the truth about that is? But I think that probably a more cynical point of view is just better in when you hear that information in general. That I don't know. I, I feel like a more cynical point of view is is going to be better. Like rather than just being taking that at face value and being like, oh, they promote people at this job. Like, do they really? I I I would. I feel like there are some other questions that could maybe be had to probe into that. Like maybe to satisfy your curiosity, because I've had a a couple of friends who having heard that and probably even myself having heard that in interviews, really, again, take it at face value and then are seriously disappointed when they get into the job and realize like, oh my God, I've been here for four years and they've never given me another title. They have never, there's never been another position that I could go into, not even laterally, Right, laterally, not even, you know, and, um, and I haven't gotten a raise in two or three years. You know, maybe that's because of the downturn, but uh, I'm also certain that so-and-so in that department got a raise. Um, so 
I feel like, um, and also in the meantime, the recruiter that you interviewed with uh, has been replaced two, two or three times over because there's somebody else. So there's really nobody else to go back to and be like, why did you say that to me? Because it is so not true. And you, then you're in a position of being like, well, I guess I want to quit uh, and find a new job. But I also feel dumb because I never, because I had these expectations based on something that somebody said, which I, all I'm saying is, I don't know that people have malicious intentions and in lying to people about that, but is in generally, it is a false promise. Yeah, they, okay, they will tell you whatever it takes to get you into the job, short of straight up lying bald face to you. Yeah. And it, you know, it's beneficial to you because right. you want the job. Right. And you want to get a, a salary, you want to get paid, you want to work at this company, otherwise you wouldn't be interviewing there. So... It's, it's beneficial to you to be like, ah, to be taken in by this type of promise. So just take it with a grain. I guess what I'm saying is take it with a grain of salt and make sure that you do your own research about, like, what could you look at the department that you're in and see that the person that is your boss is going to be promoted? Mm-hmm. If that person is not going to be promoted and is probably going to stay in that position, is... Uh, then you are probably not going anywhere. <laughs> right. One. Or are there other departments that you think you might be able to move into in order to get a promotion? And that might be a little harder to see because uh, you don't, that person isn't, that department isn't hiring you. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're a bunch of jerks or maybe they're a bunch of people who are never going to leave their positions or for that matter, maybe their whole department will be cut mm-hmm. in the next round of layoffs or the next, you know, company reorganization. So it's really hard to say that that could be a possibility, but that, you know, maybe that's a consideration. Um, but you, ha- either way, you have to be, when you accept those nice complimentary <laughs> kind of statements, take them with a grain of salt and just know that um, it's, it, it's just flattery. Well, and the the probing thing that I wish I was able to take my own advice all the time, because I've definitely still taken jobs where I don't do this, but the point of advice that I would say is when they say, yes, there's room for advancement, and yes, you're going to get raises, just be like, okay, at what points do I, do I get reviewed for a raise? And like actually be like, Usually, because you can suggest this, be like, usually it's 90 days and then every year. And so then you sort of have this expectation. And then if it can be written into your contract that you get evaluated at 90 days and at every year interval, then you actually have an in to say, okay, I would like a raise for these reasons. Yeah. I think that that also, that conversation comes with a, again, a level of like deep honesty Mm -hmm. when you are in the conversation with whoever your hiring manager is or whoever the recruiter is, like you really have to get to a point, again, you have to let go of the flattery and the, and, and be in a place where you're not so like, uh, I have so many expectations or so big expectations so that they don't want to let you down that they can just be super honest Mm -hmm. about the fact that they're like once a year we do a very small uh, cost of living 
increase. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much what we do. I yeah. don't want to burst your expectations or, or, or you know, mm-hmm. kill your idea about working with us, but just to be honest, that's what it is. And um, I, I have worked at places where I have probed them, or not probed them, but I've been like, I, am I going to get a contract? Am I going to get a contract? Am I going to get a contract? And because of the level that I was at, they were they totally never wrote me a contract. So I had no, I had nothing in there. Like, I want to get, or I have, again, friends who are like, yeah, I was told that, you know, I have to reviews. Well, the company never did reviews. Mm-hmm. So there, and when they did do reviews, the purpose of the reviews, according to HR, was just to facilitate discussion between bosses and managers, not in order to facilitate uh, raises <laughs> for employees Mm-mm. or merit or, or, you know, incentive or anything like that. So, um, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know why this just became super passionate to me, but I feel like that's an important expectation that, um, I wish that I had kind of known about going in when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, yeah. I feel again. I feel like the the deeper level of honesty, being able to get to that with a recruiter, is um, is totally necessary. I, I I have worked with a number of recruiters who I just love. I, I think that they're wonderful people. And same thing with I know these coworkers mm-hmm. are like I loved her, but why did she tell me that? And I'm like, that's really sad. I'm sorry that you <laughs> had that discussion because. I don't know, she had no right to tell you that mm-hmm. because the company was never, I mean, I wasn't the boss, I was a coworker. Um, that, you know, look at this, our boss is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, she, this is how it's going to be. And there, this company is never going to expand enough that we were going to get certain kind of, other things happened for us down the line as we spoke and wanted, and we spoke up about opportunities that we want or that we were interested in. But we also, we also had to do it in a very savvy way, which is also irritating. Um, that like we couldn't directly. We worked for a place where we felt like we couldn't directly ever ask for anything. Mm. But you can um, because then you were considered, um, you know, wanting too much or rude. Like how dare you ask for something? But if you knew that your goals were aligned with your boss's goals, then you were fine because that boss would work really hard for you to get those right, things. Right. But you could never say, those are my goals. You just had to kind of find out, oh, my goals are aligned with my boss. Sweet. Great. Great. Then we're both on the same page. <laughs> then we're on the same page. But we can never talk about it. But we can never talk about it, and I can never ask for it, um, which is ridiculous. And that's not, obviously, that was that boss. It's not, like, a thing that happens with all bosses, but... Um, yeah, I, going back to the recruiter situation, I just think that that's really, it's always a touchy subject. Money is always a touchy topic. Um, and so sometimes you feel like you can't press really hard with people unless, again, you get to that deeper level of bond and rapport and, you know. No, see, okay, yeah. I feel like we need to really work on, as a culture, talking about money more because the the mystification of money is exactly how we all stay in the same position that we're in. If if true. if somehow we can just be like, 
you know, if I don't get this job, I never see this person again. So just be like, okay, so I need this much money. And the big, huge secret, secret, not a secret, is that recruiters, whoever, whoever the hiring person is, has a range that they can work with. So they can offer you between, you know, fifty and a hundred thousand dollars. And if you come in, this is that's a really big number for some people, but like if they can offer you between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars and you come in at forty-five, they're gonna give you forty-five. So they're they're gonna do what's in the best interest of the company, and you technically are none the wiser until yes. you talk to someone else who says, yeah. "Oh yeah, no, I came up, I I was like trying to come in at two twenty, and they only offered me a hundred. Yeah. yeah. So talk to your coworkers, try to build that conversation with them, but then also just know that you can't like if you don't get that job you at least have the experience of having to confront someone who is in a position of power. Because the other big, huge secret, not a secret, is that you're in the position of power there. They're trying to get you. You are the asset. True. So you have to be like, all right, this is how much I'm worth. And you have to project that to them. Yeah. Like, you're... You're respecting that, like, no asky, no getty. Right. So I've got to ask. Yep. Because that, that's my self-respect as a human being. Mm-hmm. I have to ask. Mm-hmm. And this is and this is what I'm worth. And it gives you as an opportunity as a boss to compliment me and say, how mm-hmm. you know, which in some times is really helpful mm-hmm. to give people the opportunity to give you a bunch of compliments mm-hmm. and be like, we love you. We love all the work that you're doing for us. Um. I don't have the money to do this for you, but I have the opportunity to do this for you, mm-hmm. which is a much a very respectful conversation. When you, I I appreciate and respect those conversations when you're allowed to say what you want mm-hmm. and what you you need, and then people can come back like you're saying and demystify yeah. it and just be honest. Like, yeah, this is how it works. Right, and this is what I have to do. And sometimes there's even ways to well I know this is what you want what about these other things would these be could we do this or maybe we can do this later on for you like to come up with options that might be acceptable and sometimes that's the case mm-hmm. as long as the, the like you're saying that the money conversation is domestified and and you're in a respectful relationship with people mm-hmm. that you can that you have some trust and goodwill about the conversation and it's not like that you just want to bulldoze somebody or they want to bulldoze you which is the awful but um, sometimes common situation with talking about money with people Mm -hmm. in general not just well and we find this even with like deep personal relationships is really difficult to talk to your significant other about money. It's really difficult to talk to your coworkers about money. It's really difficult to talk to your parents about money. Yeah. And really your parents are who are supposed to be teaching you what the hell you're supposed to be doing with your money. Yeah. They don't know. Nobody taught them. They're just trying to do the, the best that they can. I feel like this should turn into an episode about talking about money. Yes, we need to do an episode about talking about money. For sure. For sure.
Anyway, would you like to do some dramatic reading from this yes. grilled cheese? So I got this great, I should come up with a different word other than great. Um, it's because I got this book called Great Grilled Cheese, 50 Innovative Recipes for Stove, Top, Grill, and Sandwich Maker. Um, it's by Laura Whirlin, who is the author of Cheese Essentials and many other uh, great cheese books. Not just cheese cookbooks, but like actual cheese porn, as I've talked about. I mean, not like human porn, but like as in... Human porn with cheese on it. Cheese pictures. No. That are beautiful. That's not what I'm imagining. Oh. No, that's... Well, that's... I'm sorry. That's what it was. (laughs) So these are like cheeses Beautiful cheeses posed and... With grapes. Sprayed and oiled and... Uh, yeah, with, with amazing with like excellent fruits lighting and vegetables and, and amazing great, lighting. Yeah. <laughs> good highlighter. Good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great concealer, great highlighter. <laughs> Probably Adobe Photoshop slightly. Yeah. Maybe a lot. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the way things are these days with, with I models. mean, some some of those cheeses have wrinkles. Right. You Tons gotta of wrinkles. take those out. <laughs> yeah, little bags. Mm-hmm. Little pouches. Little pouches. And pores. Pores, for sure. And a rind, you know, that's maybe a little dry. A little, uh, like a little gray. A little gray, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although sometimes that's super attractive. So, yeah, as in think and life, sometimes gray is super attractive. What? <laughs> <laughs> like. Well, like there's super this fashion right now for gray, like warm grays, isn't in decorating a lot right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a it's a huge wall color. Hmm. It's difficult to find the right gray, but when you do, it's you nail it. Um, and it's in all like the carpets these days, or the um, the uh, rugs, like decorative rugs. And you know so much about home decor. <laughs> So it would seem that the grilled cheese eaters of the 1930s, so I guess it was invented in the 1930s. We kind of discussed that or found it on Wikipedia, right? So hold on, though. It says that the grilled cheese eaters of the 1930s really popularized it by bringing it home to their, like these women brought it home to their husbands. Yeah. So it had to be a thing in order for them to like have it at their ladies' lunch. Ladies' yes. lunch in air quotes. Yes. I feel like ladies' lunch is like a really good gay bar name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's super fancy and like they serve like mimosas and it's really well lit and oh yeah. Oh my God. Anyway, we were doing dramatic readings of this cookbook. Yes. So, in the 1930s, they had it right when they dubbed their favorite sandwich the Cheese Dream, which we think is awesome. According to Sylvia Lovegren's Fashionable Food, Seven Decades of Food Fads, Macmillan, 1995, Mm -hmm. Sunday night suppers became popular during that decade, and along with them, the grilled cheese sandwich. Apparently, men in particular were fond of grilled cheese sandwiches, although that may have been for dubious reasons. During this decade, women's clubs became popular, and the food served at the so-called ladies' luncheons was rather dainty fare, such as 
fruit salad, and nut bread sandwiches. But when the ladies... Nut bread sandwiches, also a really good gay bar name. Anyway, go on. (laughs) But when the ladies served this same food to their husbands, it was not so warmly received. The unexpected consequence was the elevation of the simple cheese dream to almost gourmet status, for this was the one dainty dish that men actually liked. Of course, we think might not think of grilled cheese as a dainty dish, but times change. So, uh, so how is the how is that dubious? I guess it was because I feel like her explanation is dubious. Yeah, uh, probably because it wasn't like they embraced it wholeheartedly. They embraced it in opposition to fruit salads. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Oppositional fruit salads. Also a yeah. gay party. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, another... Okay, although there were many interpretations of the cheese dream, one popular one consisted of two pieces of toast bread, toasted bread topped with cheese, tomatoes, or ham and, or bacon. This was broiled or served with pickles and olives, Another, according to Lovegren, was the basic cheese dream, a plain cheese sandwich cooked in butter in a chafing dish or heavy skillet. Okay, so this may be the good a good time to insert the conversation that we were having about what constitutes a grilled cheese sandwich. Because a lot of those explanations, and even this book, yeah. has some, a really loose definition of a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Actually, I just turned the page and found that there is uh, a drawback to the mid-1700s. Did you see this? Mm-mm. So, England, in fact, was quite likely the place of origin for today's grilled cheese. In the mid-1700s, Elizabeth Rafald gave instructions in her book, The Experienced English Housewife, to toast a light wig, a spice roll. And pour... <laughs> nope, that's not what that means. <laughs> and pour melted cheese over it. In the mid-1800s, another English writer and cook named Eliza Acton had a recipe for savory toasts. This may very well have been the precursor to America's grilled cheese sandwich and avocado toast. I'm just kidding. She doesn't say that. (laughs) I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, She recommends frying cheese-topped bread in a pan. However, hers is an open-faced sandwich. To finish melting the cheese, she directs the cook to place the sandwich in front of the fire. In that way, it's a two-step process, but it does seem to be the forerunner to the American grilled cheese sandwich. The French were also influential in their evolution because they had the Monte Cristo sandwich, a kind of grilled cheese sandwich, which is thought to be the successor of the French croque monsieur. Uh, Like its French counterpart, the Monte Cristo contains ham and cheese, but also could have turkey or chicken. And the entire sandwich is just usually made with egg or white bread, is then dipped in egg and pan-fried, often sprinkled with powdered sugar and served with jam. The Monte Cristo became popular at Disneyland, of all places. Although the Magic Kingdom may seem an unusual venue to launch a culinary staple, its version of the Monte Cristo has been served to countless thousands at the Blue Bayou. Okay, well, that's a side note. Um, A good one, but a side note. So... That's all we really know about the history of it. But I still don't think that a Croque Monsieur or a Monte Cristo or a lot of these open-faced sandwiches, like, if you put meat in it, it becomes the sandwich of that meat. Yeah, it becomes something else. So if I'm making a ham 
and, uh, like if I put ham and cheese on bread, that's a ham and cheese sandwich. That's not a grilled cheese with ham in it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because like when you go to, uh, well, for those of us on the West Coast, the Jack in a Box, mm-hmm. um, they make a sandwich that is on like grilled sourdough. And it is so sourdough. good. And melty cheese, but they don't call it a grilled cheese sandwich. They call it like a melted Jack or something like that. I can't remember. Um, do you remember what they're called? I don't know what that's called. Oh, but at any rate, yeah, I get two I totally things at Jack you. in the Box. I get tacos. Tacos? Oh, yeah, yeah. For like a dollar or 50 cents or something. Yeah. And then I get the double sausage sandwich, which is oh unbelievably like just jam it directly into your arteries. But oh my God, so good. Uh, curly fries. Oh, and curly and fries. fries are good there too. I can't eat there anymore at all because there's like nothing gluten free. But I could see that. I, I mean, you like physically, a human being probably shouldn't put any of that stuff in their body. It's true. I would say, um, if you eat a taco a decade, you're probably fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But no, okay. So if you put meat in b- between bread, it becomes a sandwich of that kind of meat. Yeah. But here's the caveat. If you put bacon in a grilled cheese sandwich, does that count as meat? Because you never have, like, a bacon and cheese sandwich. You always have a grilled cheese with bacon on it. And it even extends to, like, the tomato, bacon, and cheese. Grilled cheese. Yes, I agree. So there are caveats. But, like, where's the line? And even in this book, a great grilled cheese book, they talk about when you put it on a croissant. And they talk about... um, On a quesadilla. Yeah. Or being a quesadilla. Being a quesadilla. A quesadilla is not a grilled cheese. Even pita. Pita is not a grilled cheese. He's a whiny boy who's in love with Katniss. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so i mean maybe we're kind of pushing the the definition but like what's the what like no come on what, what's the definition like well, how do you define a grilled cheese here are there in her contents she lists the classic grilled cheese the almost classic grilled cheese the modern grilled cheese the seasonal grilled cheese quesadillas and sweet grilled cheese so yeah, she's really pushing the envelope on. I find it ludicrous that she has classic, grilled. almost classic, and modern. Yeah, those three all sound like like so like shades of cheese. Yeah, and she's also just saying great grilled cheese. She isn't necessarily saying sandwich. Oh, so we're talking about the cheese being grilled in particular. So if you make, like, cheese crackers, that's a grilled cheese. cheese. Yeah, maybe. Because all it is is cheese under a broiler. Yeah, under heat. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, she she has a bread lexicon. So if I melt cheese on a plate in the microwave, (laughs) that's grilled cheese. (laughs) Or, like, you were talking about your delicious, like, cheesy um, corn tortillas rolled up. Like, is that a grilled cheese? 
Because that's something that you can eat. You can't. Well, there okay. aren't a lot of gluten-free breads. Yeah. But corn here, tortillas are gluten-free. Here is what I might. It has to melt. Mm. Like the cheese has to melt. The cheese has to be melted. Okay. And I, I would say that in general, it has to be grated. Because as soon as you slice cheese and put it on a case or on a tortilla, it's not the same. It's gross. It doesn't melt the same way. You still have more of that raw cheese taste as opposed to that melty cheese taste, which okay. is very different. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of chemical reaction that happens there. I doubt it, but okay. And, <laughs> and so, however, there is uh, there's caveats to that statement because you can use different kinds of cheese to make a grilled cheese. Well, she sandwich. even talks about using a microplaner to make yeah. snowflakes of cheese. Yeah, that seems crazy. But she talks about using soft ripened cheese, semi-soft cheese, and then hard cheeses and rind washed cheeses, which are really difficult to um, grate. They are difficult to grate. So hot, do you crumble that? Do you like cuz they're and grilled cheese like Really hard to melt in a proper fashion. Do you make the crumbles just tiny, tiny, tiny? Yeah. How do you grill that? That's really difficult to grill. I've had melted blue cheese, but it's just really, yeah. Because it's crumbly. Yeah. Like you're saying. I like melted blue cheese. There's absolutely nothing like, listen. All cheese is delicious. (laughs) I have never eaten cheese that I don't like. Have you had cheese you don't like? No. I I literally, everybody's like, oh yeah, the the Rush Creek Reserve is too liquidy for me. I can't do (laughs) raw milk cheese. I'm like, that's just delicious. Put that on a cracker. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Eat it all. (laughs) Greed. (laughs) Greed. You know what? Actually, I... Okay. This is going to put me on the wrong side of some people, but I am not a fan of cheese with uh, peppers in it. Hmm. I will put peppers on top of my grilled cheese or melted cheese, as it were, um, and like that just fine. But I am not a fan of raw cheese with... You know what I mean? It's like mixed with... So that's interesting. Is it like a textural problem? Because you ha- you don't really have a problem with spice. Yeah. No. No. It's just. Yeah. For some reason, I'm like that's not that doesn't. It, and I will, however, eat Neuchatel. See, and I've also had cheese that is hot. Like I've had ghost pepper cheese. Oh, really? That's super. F- fucking hot and good and delicious but it doesn't have the chunks so that's why i was asking if it was a textural thing maybe because i know that certain like pepper jack cheeses because of like the way that jack is it's like jack is supposed to be a solid chunk like it's solid chunk of white cheese and then you put little flecks of stuff in it and if you put too many flecks in there then it just becomes like crumbly almost so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I, I mean, I don't know. It I could think, be anything. Just... I, something about the, yeah, it, it's about the texture. It's about the size of those little pepper pieces and the, the distribution of flavor mm. that doesn't appeal to me. Like, I like Jack, and I would eat 
it like I would have a roast pepper. I would have a grilled cheese with a roast pepper over um, some melted cheese, some melted jack cheese, and it would be great. Mm-hmm. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out. I just yeah, the raw type of stuff is not appealing for whatever reason. For those reasons that we just discussed. Right yeah, now. yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the other thing I'll say about the ghost pepper cheese that I think it was in a cheddar rather than a jack. Oh. And that was really interesting, too. Yeah. Classic Reuben, classic grilled cheese. A Reuben is not a grilled cheese. Yeah, you're right. That's not a classic. <laughs> That's a classic sandwich. I, I, I guess you're right. Okay, she does say great grilled cheese. And so as long as it has cheese in it, it fits her description. That's a classic grilled cheese. That is cheddar inside of white yeah, bread. So she so the first two recipes of her, hers, uh, the first is the original American grilled cheese, which is for her eight slices of white sandwich bread, two tablespoons of butter at room temperature, and eight slices of American cheese. So this is your very classic, put the butter on the bread, put the bread on the skillet, which has been warmed slightly, and then put cheese on the bread. As it starts to melt, put the bread on top of the cheese, the other slice of bread on top of the Take it from the thing, put it on top of the sandwich, and then turn it over, and then you have a you have a sandwich that has melted onto both sides of the insides of the bread. Okay, but she just went through like all of the reasons and all of the techniques for grating cheese, and her very first sandwich calls for <laughs> sliced cheese. She is of two oh, minds. You're right. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Holy cow. Close reading, Vicky. <laughs> sounds Good like job. she needs an editor. So on the next one, on the, next, <laughs> the next recipe is called the best grilled cheese, and she doesn't use slices. She uses coarsely grated orange or white cheese. Okay. That sounds more like her. Yes. Aest- like Not aesthetic. What's flavor profile? Yeah. Maybe it's because it's American cheese, and American cheese, we all think about as slices. So she's saying that you should make your first grilled cheese sandwich out of fake weird cheese that you get out of a wrapper? So with the, like the plastic cheese. Yes. The well, funny thing is she never says... Put the other sandwich on? The butter one side of the place, four slices on your work surface, butter side down, distribute the cheese evenly over the four slices, place the remaining four bread slices on. So she actually has you put the buttered bread with slices directly onto the, so she doesn't have you wait I probably should have read the whole thing before I started saying all that but yeah interesting slices hmm. yeah so fake cheese hmm. first first recipe and this is a cheese lady like this is a yes. cheese American cheese not at, or if you're in Canada Canadian cheese is it the same yes so in Canada they call it Canadian cheese and in America we call it or in the United States we call it American cheese. But it Canadian cheese is exactly the same as American cheese. Yeah. In our in the sense of the plasticky 
thing that comes in a, in a sleigh a wrapper. <sighs> now I really want to go to Canada <laughs> and get some Canadian cheese and drive across. Like, does it is it still Kraft? Like, does Kraft make both types of cheese? I think so. I don't... I, I just... So I can't verify this for certain, but that that is what I have been told by Canadians. So, but like craft is a thing up there. Like they have craft dinner, which is macaroni and cheese. Oh, okay, yeah. But so so must be craft has two different packages for the same cheese. Yeah. So in Japan, do they sell Japanese cheese? Do they? I don't know. You've been there. I've been there, but I was I wasn't looking for American <laughs> cheese packaged as some other country's cheese. But I wonder if they would even why would that even come up? <laughs> why would any Japanese person ever buy any kind of cheese that resembled that? I don't well, know. Well, yeah. Well, one with cheese. My understanding is like well, they like milk is not like and cheese is not like a big deal. They like cream cheese. Oh. Oh. There's a lot of stuff with cream cheese in it. Okay. All right. So, yeah, cream cheese. Okay. Well, then maybe. Maybe. I bet they call it American cheese. Yeah. And I bet there's just, like, a frowny face on it. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you're sad. (laughs) A little little character. Yeah, a little adorable frowny face. Frowny face. (laughs) Okay. Dramatically read me your, uh, your pick. Out of there. Um, okay. Or maybe just like the ingredients list. I don't know. Yeah, okay. What do you think? The best grilled cheese. Oh, this is the best one. Although most people seem to have their own version of the best grilled cheese sandwich, this one defines grilled cheese as it was meant to be. Crunchy bread and perfectly melted Cheese. So this is her favorite grilled cheese. Yes. Eight slices of sourdough bread thick. She's singing my song. <laughs> Two tablespoons of butter at room temperature. You measure the bread. Yeah, so and it's spreadable. Yeah, spreadable butter. Six ounces, best quality, cheddar cheese, orange or white, coarsely grated. Go on. Okay. To assemble. <laughs> butter one side of each Slice of bread. Place. Oh, no, no, she didn't. Sorry. Place four slices of bread on your work surface, buttered side down. Distribute the cheese evenly over the four slices. Place the remaining four bread slices on top, buttered side up. Heat a large nonstick skillet over medium-high heat for two minutes. That's going to be hot. Mm-hmm, real hot. Put the sandwiches in the skillet in batches if necessary, depending on the size. Or depending upon how many people you're feeding right yeah, now. Right. And people who can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Cover. Cover. Hmm. Interesting. And cook for two minutes or until the undersides are golden brown and the cheese has begun to melt. How would you know Unless the lid is on? It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uncover... And turn the sandwiches with a spatula, pressing firmly to flatten them slightly. I'm really glad that she specified with a spatula, not just mm-hmm. like, you know, with your hands. Yes, bad news. Spoon. That's painful. Uh, cook for one minute or until the undersides are golden brown. Turn the sandwiches again. Press with a spatula. Cook for 30 seconds 
or until the cheese has melted completely. Serve immediately. What she doesn't say here is that you should also cut these sandwiches in half. That is traditional. You need to cut them in half diagonally. Really? Yes. Because yes. it is so important. Oh my gosh, I had bread. Toast cut the other day. Willy-nilly. They were, it wasn't in half this, like half up and down. It wasn't half crosswise. It wasn't diagonal. It was like some version of I cut the corner <laughs> off of it and flopped it on your plate. Oh I was God. like, I don't know what's going on. I can't deal with this. <laughs> I just had to like put the jelly on it and look away. Like, oh. And this was bread that was meant to be like dunked in eggs. I had over easy eggs. And, like, no toast corners. <laughs> yes, diagonal people. That is the only way to cut sliced bread. Although sourdough bread sometimes is difficult to get, like, a square-ish. Usually sourdough bread is rectangular. And so sometimes you can cut that in half. Mm -hmm. But still, you're cutting it. Yeah, you kind of want... You need to figure out a way to make a very small point somewhere on the sandwich. Otherwise, you don't know where to start. Yeah. So when you're cutting a sourdough sandwich, like sourdough, you usually think about it. If it's rectangular-ish, mm -hmm. it's going to be like the longer sides of it are going to be the horizontal sides of it. Mm -hmm. So you're cutting it in the shorter, between two shorter points mm -hmm. in the middle. But still cut it. Yes. On um, like a slight. You think? I feel like you still really? need to cut it on a slight oh, diagonal okay. in order to get some semblance of a toast point. Okay. Okay. Also acceptable, cutting yeah. it diagonally twice. Then you have oh. double the toast points. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess you could see a total diagonal across that long rectangle yeah. too. That's yeah. per that's nice. That's pretty. It's court yeah. If you especially if you have like a long plate. But you make a really good point about having toast points because a lot of people will have tomato soup mm -hmm. with their grilled cheese sandwich. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, you need that dipping point. Mm -hmm. Um with a point. With a point. My my points <laughs> have a point. Yes. <laughs> but the other thing that I don't mm, I could not possibly follow this part of her recipe is taking my bread, buttering it, and then putting it buttered side down on my work surface. Yeah, that's... I'm getting butter all over my work surface. Yeah. I would just put it directly in the pan. Buttered side down, in the pan, sprinkle the cheese on. Yeah. If you want to wait a minute to let the cheese melt, go ahead, put the other thing down, let it melt together. You Like, there is no reason... To waste all that butter. Right. Because yeah. it's it's supposed to be room temperature. It's going to come off on your work surface. Yeah, yeah. It definitely will. Yeah, whatever it is. Even if you put wax paper down, it's still going to get all over the wax paper. Right. Yeah. I don't understand why, like, why not just put the bread side, like the non-buttered side down, and then just flip it when you put it into the grilled cheese. Or into the grill, into the skillet. Because she wants to be able to assemble the sandwiches. If you'll notice, she's assembling yeah. the whole sandwich. And that's something that she says in there is, these grilled cheese sandwiches can be made in advance and stored in the fridge up to a day. Oh. But the caveat to that is you have to let them come up to room temperature before you cook them so that it'll melt properly. Yeah. Well, 
I the thing is, is like if you're using grated cheese, it's all gonna fall out of the sandwich yeah. on traveling from your work surface into the skillet. So I feel like butter your bread, mm-hmm. put the bread side down until you're ready to put it into the skillet. Mm-hmm. Then flip it, put the cheese mm-hmm. on it inside the skillet. Mm-hmm. Not before. That's, that's way more streamlined. Yes. That's a way more streamlined solution. Yeah. And you might get some sizzle like as it falls off of the bread inside. The, but that would have happened if it was going from, again, your separate work surface to the skillet. Mm-hmm. Unless you're getting really willy-nilly with the cheese. It's going to be like two little shreds of cheese. And that's great anyway. Just scrape that up and eat it because that is hot, fresh, delicious cheese. Yeah. That's going to be super crispy. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. I'm going to open to a random... See, this the picture on the back of this is a as a croissant. It's not a fucking grilled cheese. It's not a sandwich. <laughs> All right. Buttery fig and blue cheese melt. See, I'm mm. on board. Yeah. Yeah. This simple sandwich that takes advantage of the two short but sweet fig seasons. The first in early summer and the second in early fall. Putting figs and blue cheese in the same sandwich took a little thought. It's a classic combination. However, the buttery, creamy results were anything but predictable. All right, so the recipe. Three tablespoons unsalted butter at room temperature. Six ripe but firm fresh figs stemmed and cut in half lengthwise. Eight slices of crusty Italian bread, quarter of an inch thick. Four ounces creamy style blue cheese such as gorgonzola or Point Reyes Blue, do not use pre-crumbled blue cheese. Oh, jeez. But it should be at room temperature. In a large, non-stick skillet, melt one tablespoon of the butter over medium-high heat. Ooh, so now we're getting fancy. We're putting the butter in the skillet. Place the figs cut side down. Oh. Oh. Place the figs cut side down and saute until they are golden around the edges and pillow soft to the touch. About two minutes. Turn and cook for one more minute. Transfer to a plate and let cool slightly. Wipe out the skillet with paper towel and set aside. To assemble, butter one side of each slice of bread with with the remaining two tablespoons of butter. Place four slices on your work surface, buttered side down. Spread the cheese evenly over the four slices. Okay, so first off, we're not using pre-crumbled blue cheese. And she gives no instruction to crumble it. Just spread it over. So am I am I like spreading it like butter? Is it like, because Gorgonzola, I could conceivably do that, but it would rip, yeah. rip my bread. Yeah. Okay. Spread the cheese evenly over the four slices, followed by the figs. Place the remaining four bread slices on top, buttered side up. So, have you read or watched the movie Julia and Julia? Yes. One of the things that really struck me about the story about Julia Child was that when she met the woman who did the... I think it was like the art of cooking. Joy of cooking. The joy of cooking. The woman who did joy of cooking said that she didn't actually try all of the recipes. And here Julia Child was like, 
really perfecting every single recipe. I feel like that's what's going on in this cookbook. Like, I think this is a person who knows a lot about cheese, but hasn't really made a lot of grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, I dig her flavor combinations. Yeah. But th these are not going to work. Like, if... If someone is following these recipes to the letter, you're not going to have a successful sandwich. Because the, like, because of, like, the figs, you know, like, the okay. other slice of bread going on top, then But becomes... think about, think about when you slice a fig in half. Yeah. You have two rounded sides. Yeah. So, you're putting them in there, and then on one side, so you have your cheese on there. Yeah. You have fig, 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 and then you put your bread right on top. Yeah. None of the cheese is going to melt into that top piece of bread. Right. So It's not going to stick on there, right? It's not going to stick. Yeah. And blue cheese isn't quite, isn't sticky enough anyway. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. The flavor combination is there, but just eat a blue cheese stuffed fig. Like, skip the bread. Yeah, that's a good idea. I also feel like um, some fig jam could probably be That sounds way better. Awesome. Yeah. I lost the recipe page, but yeah, I think fig jam might be and would be better because then, like you're saying, you it you get the bread pieces that stick together, right? And you can go, you know, jam cheese jam, and then you're ha you have all of the sticky goopiness. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Anything else we want to talk about? Well, I talked a little bit about finishing up the podcast editing, mm -hmm. um, but. We did not talk about, so I just want to say really quick for myself mm -hmm. that I droned on about that, mm -hmm. but I'm excited to also, and we learned a lot and that was really exciting, but I'm excited to also get started on my interior design podcast, finally. Um, and I want to make it, I just want to say out loud to you okay. that I want to make a goal Commitments, goals. of having... Um, I don't know if it's going to be three, but yeah, well, I mean, why not shoot for the stars, right? Right. Three. Three. At, at least, um, at the end of August or somewhere around the end of August, like let's say August 30th. I don't know what August 30th is. Let's just say. Well, August 31st is Halloween. So what do you want to do August 30th? Well, October 31st. Oh, is uh, sorry. Oh my God. Um, Woo! Getting ahead of myself. Well, August 31st is a Thursday. Okay. So I, if I could get it done by then, that would be great. So have three, three done by then, as well as keeping up our schedule with our podcast. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to put that out there. Why not? Then okay. I've said it out loud and I've said it to you. Mm -hmm. And so I will feel weird if I try to push it off. Well, and you have a lot of stuff written. Like it used to be a magazine and yeah. you were to the point of like having assets for the magazine. Yeah. So it's this process of getting it into a format that makes sense for a podcast. And then also you said you might want voices for stuff. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then I'm totally willing to like do funny voices. Cool. If you need like a, yes. a coffee grinder voice or something. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> cool. Um, and so, how about you? Would you like to throw your hat down for something? Or throw a glove down, I guess? 
Ah, <laughs> uh, it's so hard. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm in revamp right now. Yes. So one of the things, like, it's a goal-setting program. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all of this gone. Oh, wow. All yeah. of this is paper. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm pointing to two large totes and a small packing box. And it used to be a lot more. Like, I've got, actually already gone through... I know I've gone through one entire bin and like like made that all digital. So that yeah. that is one of my things that I'm going to do. Nice. Um, but that is not my large goal. Those are that's going to be my crush it goal. So each each week we have a goal oh. that we have to meet. So I'm like that's the first three weeks, and I have six weeks of this program. So I think my goal should be my big goal should be to get my curriculum written for Art Doula so that I have some idea of what I would want to do for a podcast. I know there's a podcast in there. I know there's stuff that we can talk about that I can talk about with other people, that I can talk about on my own, I can talk about with students. But like having, having at least one series worth of curriculum would be my goal for the six-week period. So the session ends on August 24th, so that's about the same time, like one week before. So I will have my curriculum done by August 24th. And so by August 31st, the day that you are doing your goal, I will have a podcast written. Nice. Not, not recorded, but like a podcast outline written nice yes okay yes all right all right yes and we have to do progress updates yes yes thank you so much for making it this far congratulations you are amazing and we love you very very much this is vicky from the different time frame than this was recorded i just wanted to hop in here and do a little outro credits Thank you to Jacob and Aubrey for their support of our changeable dream. If you like this podcast, please support us on Patreon. There are more Patreon levels currently added, but $1 is always appreciated. Thanks to Scott Haskin for his music. Thank you to Cassie, our producer, and for all of the art of grilled cheese and gin. If you like this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes and we will give you a big consensual interweb hug. You can also email us your questions at grillcheeseandgin at gmail.com. You can also follow us on every single social media you can think of. And yeah, talk to you next time.